the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all and and with your spirit. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all, all be changed. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God is the victor. Victory requires effort and struggle as we pray for and strive toward the full and visible unity of the church we and the traditions to which we belong will be changed, transformed, and conformed to the likeness of Christ. We as Christians want to make this effort together without triumphalism, in humility, serving God and neighbor according to the example of Jesus Christ. In striving for unity, this is the attitude we ask of God together. Welcome all of you here, um, St. Justin, St. Elizabeth, and Advent. I hope are each represented here. I want to um, call your attention to the printed words in the leaflet. We're used to our responses in our various traditions. These may not match what you're used to, so keep your eyes carefully on the text as we go through, particularly like the Nicene Creed. It's going to be a little different than, than people are used to. Let us pray. Almighty God, through Jesus you teach us that whoever wishes to be first must become least and servant of all. We enter into your presence knowing that your victory is won through the powerlessness of the cross. We come to pray that your church may be one. Teach us to accept humbly that this way of unity is a gift of your spirit. Through this gift, change us and transform us and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Almighty God, in spite of the unity we receive in Christ, we persist in our disunity. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. We harden our hearts when we hear the gospel. Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. We fail to serve you in our brothers and sisters. Have mercy on us. The disobedience of Adam and Eve brought suffering and death to us, and creation was wounded and torn apart. Have mercy on us. May God Almighty have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and lead us to eternal life. You may be seated. A reading from the book of the prophet Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on its vines, though the produce of the olive fails and and the fields yield no food, Though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the Lord of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and makes me tread upon the heights. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The psalm appointed for this afternoon is Psalm 13. Would you please stand? And I don't know if we're singing it. Nope. All right. Please stand and read together. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I have perplexity in my mind and keep my heart day after day? How long shall my enemy triumph over me? Look upon me and answer me, O Lord my God. 
Give light to my eyes, lest I sleep in death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. My foes rejoice that I have fallen. But I put my trust in your mercy. My heart is joyful because of your saving help. I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt with me richly. I will praise the name of the Lord. Please be seated. A reading from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishably, and we will be changed, for this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that the Lord that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said to Andrew and Philip, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. The word of the Lord. In our tradition, most out there are Catholics, so you know that we don't give long sermons, we give homilies, especially we don't. So, but that's one of the things. I'm reminded today, as I was starting to tell the participants as we were walking in, I'm reminded of the story of Bishop Gottwald, our exhorted bishop who died a couple of years ago, who was, I forget where he was, early in his priesthood. He was up in the near north side of St. Louis City. And he, he somehow drew the short straw, or he was the junior assistant, so he had the 6 a.m. Mass on Christmas Day. And there were three people in church besides himself, and one server showed up. And one of the people was the server's mother, and the other two people were just there. But he still gave his full sermon. Suffice it to say that I think it's important that we gather together. I do see at least one from St. Elizabeth. I do see a number from St. Justin, and the rest, I presume, from Advent. And we do come together today in a very special way because of our common work through the sage ministry. Michael Kinneman, one of the homily helps that we received for this uh, week. Michael Kinneman was a professor at Eden way back when, a few years ago. And now he is the 
General Secretary of the National Council of Churches, gave a recent lecture. I'm just going to read the quote as it, as it was printed. In a recent public lecture, reviewing the history of the ecumenical movement and its prospects for the future, stated that in order for this movement to flourish in the future, it must be based on our theological conviction about the difference Christ makes for our lives and the world. Kinnaman claimed that if our efforts toward Christian unity are not based on theological principles, these efforts become merely a front for political ideology. For this reason, it is highly appropriate that we consider how a text like 1 Corinthians 15, 51-58, which we just heard, speaks to the cause of Christian unity. To grasp and hold fast to the truth that we will all be changed in the victory of the resurrection is to see our lives as completely transformed already by the truth. It is to recognize at once the value and significance of our lives and work in the world while having the humility born of understanding that we have not yet attained the fullness of our salvation. It is to reaffirm anew the magnificence of God's power to transform us completely at the resurrection and to see that power is transforming our lives and our church even now. It is to reaffirm anew the magnificence. It is to understand that we can live differently in this world because of who Christ is and what he has done for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. It is because of him and because we Christians belong to him that there is basis for unity in the church, his body. The theme for this year's Week Prepared for Christian Unity was put together by a committee of Polish Christians, Roman Catholics, Eastern Catholics, and a number of Protestant bodies and Eastern Orthodox bodies that are located in the country of Poland. Poland, as you probably remember, has had a very jaded history. It's a beautiful history, but a jaded history because of all the countries in Europe, it is that country that has been fought over the most has been divided the most, and has disappeared from the maps the most. Since 1919, after World War I, it reappeared. But after the World War II, in 1945, it was the boundaries were shifted so that the eastern part of Poland became part of the Ukraine and part of Russia, and the western part, which used to be part of Germany, became Polish. But it is seen now as a sign of hope. Since the fall of communism, since the election of John Paul II, Poland is seen as a sign of hope for all places in the world. And reading the literature put out by the World Council of Churches and the Vatican and the Graymore Institute, and if you want to do your own reading on this, it's tremendous, the GEII, GE, Graymore Ecumenical Institute, something, Graymore Ecumenical Institute, or .org. GEII, check it out, you'll find it. It gives the whole background as to why Poland was chosen and why these churches came together and specifically why they chose that particular theme that we have this year about the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. The bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus, just like the country of Poland, is the sum and substance of who, what we are as Christians. 
If we don't believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead, which we will profess in just a few moments, then we are the most pitiable of people. Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, was concerned with the Hellenist view, of course, Platonist primarily, that the thing you wanted to get out of was the body. If you remember when Paul went to Athens to preach to the people of the Areopagus, they said, okay, that's a nice, that's a nice story. I'll come back some other time. We'll be happy to hear more about it. And lo and behold, he found a few converts there, but then he went down the road, down the isthmus to, to Corinth, where he was able to find even more. And when he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, there was a debate in the church. It starts off, chapter 1 and 2 start off about the cross. At the end of the letter to the Corinthians, he talks about the resurrection. Two great parentheses when he talks about the inner conflicts, when he gives the great beautiful chapter 12 about the body of Christ, when he talks about chapter 13, that great hymn of love, agape, not Eros, Philia, Agape, Christian love. But he ends up with chapter 15, talking about the resurrection. One of the quotes that the helpers gave us this week, I, it hit me very, very clearly. A couple of times I've read this, and that came again and again. Christian unity that is modeled after the eschatological vision. Eschatological is a dollar fifty word, means means hope. Eschatological vision of bodily resurrection will not be a lockstep uniformity, but rather a unity that respects and values difference. Just as our mortal bodies are not cast aside at the resurrection, but transformed into something more glorious, so too the distinctive expressions and forms of Christianity that now exist will not be done away with in the final attainment of Christian unity but will flourish, as part of, will flourish as part of that unity. Just as our bodies will rise from the dead, just as we will be raised up into new and something new and different, so too we pray that Christian unity will happen. What we have been doing in SAGE is certainly one of those things. I hope that we can, the three of us up here in the front and Chris out there and others involved, can hopefully bring forth something good and beneficial from SAGE. Yes, we have seniors in our area, in case you haven't looked in the mirror recently. <laughs> and yes, there are three churches that are involved with this, even though others have been invited. The three, St. Saint Elizabeth, Advent, and St. Justin, have committed their time, their treasure, their talents to work for the building up of the body of Christ. And thanks be to God that both St. Elizabeth's and, and Advent open up their doors so often for so many things for the program. And our great, wonderful parish nurse, who has become a tri-parish parish nurse, <laughs> rather than just a parish nurse here. But the fact is that what we try to do is come up with something new and different. Not rejecting the past. And even when we come together and, add, and Lent during the, and say the Stations of the Cross... Which I know those aren't even up now. They're only up there in that, I guess. They're gone. Anyhow, ours are up all the time, just in case. But even when we come together and pray the Stations of the Cross here, or St. Elizabeth's or St. Justin's, even when we come together and do those things, what we're stating is that there's something much more basic and much more in common 
than just saying that I'm a Catholic, I'm Episcopalian, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Baptist, I'm whatever. What we are, sisters and brothers, are Christians. And I think that that's the most important aspect that we look at. Christian unity that is modeled after hope. That eschatological vision. Hope. Are there differences? Certainly. But there's so many things that can keep us together. That can bind us together. That can encourage us to come to a closer journey and walk with the Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. I think as Kinnaman said so well, it's so important, again, that we need to grasp and hold truth to the fact that we all be changed to the victory of the resurrection. We, together, will all be changed by the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we continue to affirm that statement, not just by saying the creed, not just by having this little notion back here, oh yeah, we're going to be raised up someday, but actually believing that that resurrection is going to happen. We have the courage and the strength to keep on moving forward. We keep on moving forward. We keep on keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, as the letter of the Hebrews tells us. And we recognize again and again the wonder, the power, and the might that is Christ Jesus in our midst. The grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies from our gospel we just read. But when it dies, it bears much fruit. Perhaps some things that we have held dear to will have to die. But we need to bear much fruit. Fruit that will endure. May that fruit endure not only in our worship, this is the 104th year of the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, started by Paul Watson up in New York, who at the time was an Episcopalian, who later became a Catholic priest. But a person who sought and tried to do what he could to bring forth that unity, corporate unity, but visible unity. Efforts like SAGE, efforts like this, efforts like common stations or things like that, bring us together and life, and happiness, and joy. That's the end of the sermon. I'm going to make one comment. Lent this year, and I know you know about it, but Lent this year, we have one of our Dominican brothers who comes out to St. Justin every Sunday. We'll be doing a workshop on prayer for seven weeks, starting the week before Lent, actually. I encourage, we part of SAGE, we have talked about that in the past but I encourage and ask your kind attention to it. Uh, we'll get the bulletin announcements out, and hopefully St. Elizabeth is here and will be pushing it. But when you see the announcement, prayerfully consider trying to get to that, that workshop. It should be good. In fact, it is good. I've read the notes. He just doesn't stick to Catholicism. He's an expert in Islam. He spends, order priests and brothers can do this, he spends a summer in Egypt studying, praying learning about Coptic Christians and Muslims but coming together as God's family in unity when that comes up in a few weeks a month from today is Ash Wednesday may we recognize and see once again the unity of God's holy people 
the prayer that Christ has given us, as St. Paul says, for we shall all be changed by the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory and honor, now and forever. Amen. Amen.